Hey there, this is Keith Carpenter. I get to pastor Epic Life Church, and it's such a, a blessing that you're watching this today. I want to encourage you to in, um, enjoy this message and enjoy this worship and time. But I also want to encourage you that if you're listening from a different place in this city or in this country, and you have a local church that you're part of, that you invest into that local church. It's really good that we can hear people online, men and women teach and expound on the scripture. But in the long run, we need to go back to our local church and be part of that community. So again, it's a blessing having you here. I pray that this is a blessing to you and I want to encourage you to invest in your local community. Have a great morning. Good morning. It's so good to see you this morning. All right. How many of you know somebody who's sick? <laughs> we all do, right? It's like everywhere right now. I, uh, like I said a couple weeks ago, I'm pretty sure we're all going to get it, so be on hold for that. I, I thought I thought by January of 2022, we would be back to full capacity and everybody would be back around. I get calls this week about people who are sick, so that's the way it is. Uh, stay healthy, you guys. Everybody online, it's good to see you. Ricardo, Mary Esther in Peru, it's good to see you, of course, and Mayon, I think you're on as well, and maybe others, probably the Yuris and Caden and... Uh, others and the Shaheens and what a blessing to know that you can watch and that we have the capability of doing some live streaming this morning. Hey, a couple of things we need to know. So I'm Keith. If you don't know me, it's good to have you here. Uh, if you're new this morning, I just want to encourage you to, to relax and enjoy what God's doing in this community. And uh, I just look forward to uh, sharing more with you as, uh, as he sees best. Um, there's a slide up here on the 13th, if you guys pop that back up there, a prayer gathering. And you guys know that we're part of the North Seattle United, the uh, North Seattle Pastors Group, and the, um, which every other month we have an intercessory gathering as church, churches of North Seattle. So all the churches of North Seattle get together in one spot and pray, and pray for that one church, and pray for North Seattle, and pray for Seattle as a whole. This is such an important time to pray. And there's so many opportunities to pray. So I want to encourage you to come to Hope International Church, which actually is just right up the street here. Um, and, and, uh, and if you want to know more about that, uh, you can go online to Epic Life Church and, uh, and get the information there. But um, this Thursday at 7 p.m. And it's such a good, good time of communing with Christ, interceding for the people of Seattle uh, together with the churches of Seattle. And often there's a hundred people there. Uh, we're spread out, safe and all that, but um, it's really good. And so in, in conjunction with that, um, Alyssa, can you and Jake hand these out to everybody? Um, this, starting tomorrow, uh, I'm going to encourage us to enter into a time of prayer and fasting as a church. And, and so on Wednesday nights, we're going to have a prayer a gathering as actually as worship practice happens here. We're going to be in the other side, uh, the West Wing over here, and, and praying together. Uh, this is a small prayer and fasting guide that I want to encourage you to take seriously. It's 20 days of praying and fasting. If you want to make that 40 days, you're welcome to do that. To be really spiritual, you've got to have 40 days um, of praying. But... Uh, but this is, this is a, a great, um, just a, a space for us to learn and grow and for you to do some, some, some pointed, uh, strategic uh, praying and fasting. And uh, on the first page there, uh, first couple pages, it just really is laying out uh, why, how to prepare, how to plan uh, for fasting, uh, and, and while you're fasting, how to focus, um, and then a little bit, and actually on breaking the fast later on. And so... Um, I'm going to let you decide what you're fasting from. Maybe it's technology. Maybe it's Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I don't know, whatever it is. But I want to encourage you to set something aside. And, and the way I do it is to set aside something I really like. It just has a bigger impact on my soul. I can set aside lots of things. Like I will never, I, for the next 20 days, I won't drive my Maserati. I don't have a Maserati, so that's a pretty easy fast for me. But uh, maybe, maybe there's something I really enjoy, though, something I really like that I'm going to set aside. And usually, for me, that's around food. I enjoy eating good food. So um, 
And, and so on, the, on page four there, you see this, uh, this plan, this way to kind of plan your fast for the next 20 days. And you can do different things. Often when I'm fasting and praying and seeking God's face, I'll, I'll uh, fast from sunup to sundown, uh, maybe the mornings until evening, and then eat dinner with my family. Often it's around... Uh, around uh, a food, but I want to encourage you, if there's something with technology that you you could give up for God uh, as you're praying, uh, that's a, a good opportunity to do that. And why do this at the beginning of the year? Um, you know, there's some really unique and beautiful things happening in our city right now. And this city that I believe God knows and loves and loves the people here. God has had us on duty here for 13 years and churches in our past and farther, farther back in this city have been on duty in this city and, and serving God and, and praying. And, and a prayer gatherings have started in this city from the foundation of this city and, and has moved through the city often. And so we, we get to be part of that continuing history. And so... Um, at the beginning here, the beginning of the year, we are just asking God to help to, we're praying and seeking God to, to build his church in this city. Just build his church. And that's Epic Life. It's Seattle Foursquare. It's Missio. It's Discovery. It's Roots. It's uh, you name the church in North Seattle. We're really praying for those churches. And all of Seattle, of course, but God has us focused here. And so I want to encourage you to, to spend some time on this. Don't just, don't just kind of, um, do this casually. Like, spend some time on this. Ask God tomorrow how to start. There's a couple prayer gatherings we've also put in this. Um, each each day, I've encouraged you to to kind of check or, or write down what you're going to fast from and what maybe prayer meetings. Some there are prayer gatherings around this city every single day. On Wednesday, you see day three. There we're going to have a gathering here on Thursdays. There this coming Thursday is the interna- intercessory gathering of North Seattle. On um, on Thursdays at noon, there's a prayer gathering at at Westlake uh, Park downtown. Um, uh, every single morning, the staff prays at nine o'clock here in the building. I know there's a there's a prayer gathering for the food bank as well, uh, right, Ron? Is right at eight thirty in the morning. What's that? Eight forty-five on Monday mornings, kind of getting ready for the the giving room, the our food bank. Um, and so there's great and uh, great opportunities for you to pray throughout the week, or maybe just call somebody up and say, "Hey, would you would you do this with me?" Um, and then on page six, you'll, you'll see this. Well, actually, on the bottom of page five, I want to encourage you to have a prayer partner, somebody who walks with you on this. Um, and write their name down. Maybe have them look at your plan and, and then sign their name and say, I'll, I'll partner with you in this. I'll walk with you in this. Uh, and, and, and encourage them to walk next to you. And then on page six, uh, I think it's a really beautiful thing to start out with what you're thankful for. Look at 2020, 2021, and find ways to be grateful. Find ways to show some gratitude and write it down. Just write it down here. Give, give it some space to be thankful to God. Come up with it. Let's not turn back and look at 2020, 2021 as um, years of doom and gloom, but may we thank God for what he did in our own lives and the lessons we've learned. Page seven, then, um, page eight, there's a couple things here and how to pray. And you can write some things down, some goals, uh, how to pray for your family, uh, what you're seeking God for this year. Um, <clears throat> you're com- committing to pray for specific things. Uh, and I've just given you some ideas there. There's tons of things that would be uh, ideas for you as well. And I would encourage you to spend some time this afternoon and, and then throughout the next 20 days, kind of writing more in this. Um, And I want to encourage you on page nine to be committed to praying for your church, your community, and your nation. Uh, The leadership of this church and the churches of North Seattle, the churches of Seattle need prayer. We need people around us who are who are lifting us up in prayers, holding our arms up, if you will. And, and we're all ministering together, but there is a, a deep, heavy, heavy burden on pastors right now in this city <clears throat> and across the nation, across the world. And more pastors are quitting right now than have ever 
um, stepped out of ministry in the past, and uh, there and and I've talked to just this week two pastors who are who have gone away on personal retreats because they're imploding, and so pastors of North Seattle need prayer. We we all need that and the ministry leaders and and i'm talking this month about being the family of god and the community of god together as we build the church together build the house together but um but and so really we're part of this and epic life if we've done anything is to be pastoral in our neighborhood this idea of the parish right we have we have a parish out here the parish and the parish are the people outside the the community that we've been called to and the parishioners then are the people who come and attend the church from the parish and so I've, god's really given me this year this idea of this parish um idea and that we as a church have claimed nora as our parish and and we are constantly engaging out there constantly um encouraging and loving and and um and bringing christ to that neighborhood so the rest of this is uh a places for you to journal it's 20 days there's not a lot of space on here if you need a uh a bigger bigger pages please do that but i've found the the value deep value of journaling through prayer and fasting and uh, it just shows and allows me to realize so much more <clears throat> if you're a good writer or not um, writing things down matters it's important and it, it engages with our soul differently so I want to encourage you to do that, and we'll talk about this um, over the next few weeks. Uh, and I want to encourage you to go to your discipleship groups and share this with them. Do this with them, right? Uh, and then look for ways that uh, God is going to take what he's, he's showing you as you're praying and fasting and understanding your, your mission, uh, our mission as a church, and understanding how that intersects with our community, with our parish. There's a lot of ways that we intersect with our parish. And one of those is with our coffee shop. Um, we, we've found that as a place to intersect with our neighborhood, with 4 North Seattle as well, our business network. It's a way for us to, as a church to intersect with our community, with the preschool, with the giving room. All these ways are super, super good. So, um, so I, wanna, I wanna share with you really quick. Um, my God, God gives me a word. I, I asked that God would give me a word for the year. And I just want to share you with you the word that he's given me. Is that all right? Before we get to the sermon, you guys okay with that? All right? All right. So here's the word. Um, how do I, I'm going to kind of script this a little more. Um, okay, Ephesians 1, right? Ephesians 1, 14. We know, I go back to this often, lately especially, that we have been marked. And so my word is, is, uh, You guys see that? Mark. I know that I've been marked. You guys, I, I know that God has stamped me with this Holy Spirit, and he stamped our church with the whole, his spirit. He's claimed us as his own. Second Corinthians uh, um, one twenty two says that he has, he has selected us and, and put a stamp on us, marked us as his own, chosen us. He has marked us. And, and it's like Toy Story. Our name, Jesus, is written on our foot, right? And, and he has marked us. He's claimed us as his own. And I know that I've been claimed as his, which means that when he calls me to do something, I walk in there with Jesus' name stamped on me, Right? Mark, got that? But it, um, even more, I want to be, be more than that too, and God's uh, added to this. I want to be, be markable. In other words, I want to be available to God. You know, I want to have my foot up go, please, mark me. <laughs> write, write your name here again, please. Stamp me again. I want to, I want to, I know, I know that I'm going to run away from God once in a while or different things, but I want to be able to give and offer myself to God and say, God, you've called me, you've marked me, you've given me your spirit. Um, our church, uh, this community, you've marked us to do something really incredible in this neighborhood. I want to continue being willing. I want to be like my soul here, Lord, mark us, stamp us more, help us understand your, your cornerstone more, help us understand even more of who you are. Uh, just give us more, please give us more, please. I want to be markable. I want to be available. 
like to him. I want to have my foot up ready to be written on again as I scuff it off throughout the day. I want him to... But you know, also talking about scuffing it off, I know I'm going to be running away from God. There's sin in my own life. I'm going to be rebellious. I'm going to be sinful. Um, you know, the beautiful thing about God is that he, he doesn't cast us away when we've run away from him. Praise God. He doesn't cast us away. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 I've tried that. No, you're done. I've called you a friend and you've run away. No more friendship. He doesn't do that to us. In fact, the really cool thing is that we are remarkable. God will come and remark us on his terms constantly. He will come up and say, no, no, I'm coming back. It's all right. I forgive you. There's grace. I'm going to mark you again. You know, that, that's remarkable. That is incredible. If you really think about that, none of us do that to our friends. None of us. We're a one-sided friendship, and when our friends do something that we don't like, we're like, <laughs> maybe not instantly, but give it enough. You don't show up for dinner. You don't show up for the meeting a couple times. You're late. Eh, We, God has, has chosen us, given us his presence. We are marked with the Holy Spirit. I want to be markable. And the beautiful thing is that God will remark us all the time. And this is remarkable. And so that's my word this year. And I'm going to just kind of live that out. I will remain remarkable all year. God always keeps us. He doesn't lose us. The gospel is complete. This is absolutely remarkable. But there's one more thing to this. And I wrote this wrong, so I can't even put it on there. But there's a big exclamation point right here. It's remarkable. Do you guys realize how remarkable it is that God has given us his spirit? This is crazy to think about. The, the creator of the universe has given not just an intelligent design somewhere in the ether, but the creator of the universe has, has done this to us, made us remarkable. We're the friend of God. It's going to be a remarkable year as we build the house of God together. This is remarkable. So let's choose. Epic Life, would you do this with me? Let's choose to be remarkable. Let's choose to offer our foot to God to be available to him and to come back when we run away that we would turn around and say, God, in repentance, I come before you. We repent and we return and he remarks us always. Let's be expectant in this. So, so we're going to go to Ephesians chapter two and uh, I'm talking about the church here, right? The, um, the community of believers, Ephesians chapter two. But before we get there, let's go to Nehemiah. I love the Old Testament. So in February, we're going to go to Nehemiah and, and study the book of Nehemiah uh, throughout the year. But I think what we need to do as, a, as believers is live differently. And if remarkable has anything to do with anything, it's about living differently. It's about actually seeing the big things that God's called us to and, and figuring out how to do it. Figuring it out. That's ridiculous, to tell you the truth. Because it's much easier to do church by waiting for things to come to us instead of in the perspective of God's calling us to do something, we're going to figure out how to do it. Um, we need to live differently and choose to live differently. Here's Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. So it says this. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In late August, uh, uh, what is this? Autumn, in late fall. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I, and this is Nehemiah writing this, so he's writing in the first person, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked him about the Jews who had returned from there, uh, uh, returned there from the captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not 
well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And here's the verse. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. Then we have this prayer there. He, he more, yeah, leave that verse up there, would you? He heard this and he sat down, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed to the God of heaven. Number one, Nehemiah knew who to go to. And then he knew what to do before him. And he prayed and fasted. I wonder if people, Christians, have the same perspective of the church as Nehemiah had for the city of Jerusalem and for his people. Do we have that same perspective? Or is this thing we do on Sunday morning, uh, this thing we call church, this thing that you walk down the street and you ask people if they're part of a church and they're like, yeah, uh, that one over there? I wonder if this thing we do is so casual that we don't have a, we don't have a passion for it. We don't have this, this heart that weeps for it when the walls are torn down or the doors are broken in. or the and, and in this, as we talk about this, we're not really talking about the building. The building's a part of it. It's a part of it. It's a piece of it. But it's not what we're really talking about with the church. The church are people. It's you. It's individuals. It's this community that's been brought together as the community of Christ. The ecclesia, the gathering of Christ. This is the church, right? And so do we have this perspective like of weeping for the church? The church of North Seattle, the church of Seattle? When I'm waking at night and I, I uh, am, because of a dream, are, am brought into this space of weeping for the church, I'm reminded often of the prayer the vision that happened before we came here. And it was a vision a year and a half before we even moved here in 2006 that God showed me a vision and I woke up weeping and, and, and shedding tears for the city of Seattle without knowing anything about it. And maybe it was tears for the church that had been, that, that was not present or not growing or whatever it was that God wanted us to be part of this. And I want constantly for my heart to be soft enough where I'm weeping for the church. I'm weeping for pastors and families and people who are gathering and trying and, and trying to figure this out and pastors and families who are, are ready to just quit and be done with this and hang it up and go home. And churches who are, who are closing. I found out about another one last week that's closing and they're selling their building as turning into apartment complexes. Do we weep for the shape of the house? <laughs> Do we weep for the shape of the house? I could just leave it there this morning and let us sit on that for a little while, right? Do you weep for the shape of the house? We're the family of God, and God has called us, I think, to weep for the shape of the house. So Ephesians chapter 2. Father God, I pray that you would be preeminent here. I see it as a, a very sobering thing to share your word and to expound on, on what you've given to us. And I pray that Epic Life Church would realize and understand their, their, their function as people of God in the house of God. And online or sitting here or listening to this later on, I pray that we would all come together and weep over your house We'd come together and weep for this city and this neighborhood you've sent us to, this parish. That people would come to know you as Savior. That people would join into this remarkable mission that you've given to us. So valuable, so amazing, so bright. And the outcome, Lord, is so good. Thank you for calling us to be your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Ephesians 2.19, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy people. You are members of God's family, and together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone of Christ Jesus himself. We're carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy nation for the Lord, and through him you Gentiles are also made 
part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So I'm going to be preaching through this passage all month long. Last week, I kind of gave you an overview of it. And, uh, and this morning, we're going to really focus on verse 19 even more. But the idea here, um, as you see on the other side of your note cards there, if you're taking notes, I hope you are. I hope you're writing stuff down. We're talking about the house. Friends uh, that were no longer strangers, families. We're, we are the house of God together. Foundations that the word is our foundation and Jesus is our cornerstone. And fire, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our house. So verse 19, and... We're going to start running on this. I might start talking fast because I've taken too much time talking about remarkable. By the way, those of you who have a remarkable are on target with this. One of my favorite uh, uh, technology tools right now is the remarkable. Uh, So verse 19, here we go. Ready? We are no longer strangers or foreigners. This is a phenomenal verse that that, uh, Paul is presenting to us. And it says this about Gentiles. We're all Gentiles, but the word Gentile really isn't even, uh, it is part of it, but it's not part of it for us. And so, so we together are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with God's holy. The members, we are members of a new country, a new new community. We're the members of a new house. We have rights. We're protected. We, we are, we, if, we're, if we go overseas, we'll, we'll be repatriated, repatriated. Uh, we'll have, we'll be, uh, our country will fight for us. We will fight for shared ideals. We'll call each other brothers and sisters. This will be a new thing. We'll be a citizen. A citizen belongs to and has responsibility for each other. This is a beautiful thing, that we are no longer strangers and foreigners. We're part of the country, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, listen to this. This is very important. The kingdom of God is exclusively a nation and inclusively welcoming. Listen to this really well. You got that slide up there, Josh? The kingdom of God is exclusively a nation. It is an exclusive nation. Sorry, world. But the kingdom of God is an exclusive nation by Jesus alone. It's inclusively welcoming, absolutely welcoming to every, every person that walks the face of the earth, every person that has breath in their lungs, every person who, who can call upon Jesus as Savior. It's inclusively welcome for all to come by Jesus alone, but it's exclusively a nation before God himself. He is. Jesus said it about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. I've had this gentleman staying in our home for uh, about three months, now, or, uh, a month now, and he's from Taiwan. He's, he's um, seriously seeking after God and asking questions and wondering about this and, and wondering if he can add the perspective of Jesus to his Buddhist lifestyle. And I'm like, you can add the perspective of Jesus to your Buddhist lifestyle. He said lots of great things. But what you're going to get to at some point is Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. And that's something you've got to deal with. And then you're going to find out that he doesn't fit in your Buddhist lifestyle. By believing in Jesus, we are no longer strangers. We are friends. We're part of a kingdom, an exclusive kingdom. We become, we call it saved. We become friends. So there's a few passages here about friends. Um, One is in James chapter 2. James is just after Hebrews in the New Testament at the end there. James chapter 2 verse 23 says, um, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteousness because of his faith. He was even called the friend of God, the friend of God, Abraham. So from the very beginning, Abraham was called the friend of God. And, of course, we can go back to Isaiah 41, verse 8, that says, But as for you, Israel, my servant Jacob, my chosen one, descended from Abraham, my friend. God is calling Abraham his friend. But before that, God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden as a friend. And we get the perspective. He doesn't say it in, in Genesis, but it's kind of this perspective that Jesus, that God walked with Adam and Eve as a friend, like, like shared time with them, walked in the garden together, was part of their life. They were friends. And then a- Abraham came along as the friend of God, Moses then would come along and would talk with God face to face as the friend of God. Beautiful setting in the tent when he would talk to God would come out and he'd be glowing. 
There wouldn't be a halo over him. He would literally be glowing because he had time with his friend, God. There's a whole sermon in that. Time with his friend, God. How many of us glow because we are spending so much quality time with God himself. Jumping forward to John chapter 15, and John chapter 15 is the disciples then, right? And they're coming onto the scene, and this, this uh, chapter about abiding in the vine, the disciples, then Jesus would speak to his disciples and say that, uh, I don't know, verse 13 there's no, no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friends. And he's kind of um, saying what's about to happen. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father's told me. You are my friends. He was t- calling his disciples friends. There's such a different thing here than, hey, you're my, you're my, uh, my student, uh, you're, you're following me, you're, you're nothing, you're a slave, you're a servant. A friend is, is known and trusted, and a friend is someone who, who um, like a stranger, you don't know them, so you don't entrust anything with them. You lock your house around them, you don't give them the key to your front door, you kind of keep them at arm's length. But yes, Jesus was the friend of the disciples, yet Let's face it, Jesus went beyond friendship. He went beyond the friendship that we value. What kind of friendship do we value? We value a teeter-totter friendship. Hey, you do this, right? I'll do this. That's a friendship. If you don't show up, I ain't showing up. If you don't call me, I'm not calling you. I'm going to get mad at you. So we value this teeter-totter friendship. I can be friends with somebody who is friendly to me, who is a friend to me, but I cannot. And Jesus does something completely different. It's a one-sided friendship almost. It's a, it's a him saying, I want you as a friend. I'm choosing you as a friend. I'm looking at you. I know your name. I, call, I will call you friend. And then he will pursue us over and over again. That's not the friendship we have in our lives, is it? Pretty much at all. In Luke 7, the Pharisees, the people of God, the people who led the religion of, of, the, of the people of God um, would come to Jesus and go, ooh, look at you. You're a friend of who? Tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes, people of the street, the lowbrow, those people we don't talk to, the, the people who are not welcome at our synagogues and temples. You're friends with them. Jesus would respond to them, of course, in that, and go, what are you talking about? (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Jesus pursues. I guarantee you those tax collectors and prostitutes and and sinners weren't pursuing Jesus. It wasn't a seeker-friendly service going on where they're seeking God. Jesus sought after them, and he became friends with them. This word friend is philos, right? Uh, P-H-I-L-O-S. Regarding, it's kind of this idea of regarding with affection because of experience. So it's, it's um, becoming friends with somebody because you had an experience or you, you love them because there's more going on in the world. So we know the, the philos word, right, uh, by a guy named Philemon and a guy named Philip. Those are, those are words with the Greek philos on there, um, friend. Uh, um, we also know it by philanthropy, a love of hu- humankind. Um, philharmonic, love of what? Harmony. Philharmonic music. Uh, how about philosophy? Love of, <laughs> love of learning, wisdom, right? Philodendron. I threw that one in there just for us. It's actually a plant, but it's called. It is there because they're lover of trees. They grow around trees and grow up a tree. That's how they how a philodendron, a plant, grows, right? So that word philo is is this idea of regarding with affection with somebody else, um, loving, fond of, and focused on, and seeking after. Jesus was focused on sinners, fishermen, women, Gentiles, those who were strangers and foreigners, and bringing them into his house as a friend. John 15, you are no longer strangers. You are my friends. So Jesus says to his disciples, 
for the past three years, you have walked along my side as you stepped away from your lives and followed me. Your experience next to me and each other has created a bond of brotherly love, a philos love. I've shown you the deep mysteries of the universe and of the kingdom of God. And I've done this for those I call friend. I call you a friend. Not a servant, for a servant does not share life in the same way a friend does. You could have said no to this relationship, but you chose to remain and abide in me. You became part of me. You are a friend. You are a friend. A friend of God. We're no longer strangers and foreigners of the kingdom of God. We are friends in the kingdom of God. So do you consider your walk with God as a friendship? Or is it a duty? Or do you still view your walk with God as, if I don't do these things, God will disown me. If I don't do these things, God will take his mark off my foot. Is that how we see our relationship? Or do we see our relationship with God as a friendship? A friendship that he will not leave us or forsake us in. That's amazing. Do you trust him like you would trust a friend? These are some serious questions. Because how we act and live in our day reflects what we think about our friendship with God. Most Christians, most Christians, have a friendship with God that is is. There's two perspectives. It's either a teeter-totter thing. Well, God, I'll be your friend if, you know, you answer my prayers. And so when we think he's not answering our prayers, we're like, I'm done. I'm going to find a different friend. Or we treat it like my friendship with God is, is more like a list of things that I have to do and don't do so that he will remain my friend. And I'm trying to do all these things just to get him to be my friend. Trying to do everything right just to get him to be my friend. And neither of those are the perspective that Jesus comes to us as a friend. And how we live out later on in this passage, we're going to learn about the cornerstone. How we live out, it's shown by what we believe of Jesus as our cornerstone, as our friend. So let's face it. Jesus' friendship with his disciples was a one-sided friendship. Um, You know, they went to dinner, and they left the check with him. They didn't even say thank you, probably, at the end of that relationship, right? When Jesus was standing there holding the check and heading to the cross, they ran to protect their own necks. All of us would go, wow, that's, that's no friendship I want to be part of, right? I don't want that kind of person to be, I don't want to go to dinner with somebody and have them run away and leave me holding the check. But Jesus was about something more. And he would reinstate, remark Peter, reinstate, give them a place still, a standing still, and remind them that he is their friend um, when he was raised from the dead. He would remind them that they're no longer foreigners or strangers, but part of the citizenship, part of the kingdom of God. Almost none of us in the house of God reflect Jesus' perspective on friendship, do we? It's hard to be a friend to regardless of what. (laughs) That's difficult. It's something we have to constantly attempt to do with each other. The church... The church is constantly split over friendship problems. Constantly. It happens like all the time. And people are going, well, yeah, sometime God expands his church by having a split happen. Not true. Because that means there's the split came out of sin. (laughs) Yes, the church can be expanded. I get that. But, But what if we did things differently as believers? You know, people, we, people are very careless with our friendships. When we value teeter-totter friendships, we'll always be let down. And if your friendship value on people in the church and people around you is built on a teeter-totter friendship model, you'll always be let down. Like, always. And let down, I mean, when this person gets off, let down. Always will happen. Because we are humans and we, we constantly hurt each other. 
constantly hurt each other. The beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that we can, we can see that, that God has given us a different perspective of friendship and we can enter into that and, and be friends with God in that perspective, but be friends with one another as well in that perspective. So all relationships actually end up costing us something and are risky. Even the good relationships are not perfect, let's face it. Relationships are risky business. I mean, it is just risky business to have friends with other people. And that's why I think the internet is so popular because we can have friends with all these people. (laughs) Right? There's a passage in Philippians, Philippians 4. It says this, Now I appeal to Yodia and Sintaiche, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreements. And I ask you, my true partner, help those two women, for they work hard with me. So Paul is, is pointing out a friendship problem inside of the church. And Paul's saying, listen, these women are really valuable to the kingdom. They've shared the gospel with a lot of people. They're very, very valuable. Help them. I appeal to you. Please settle your disagreement. Come back together as friends. The house of God is made up of friends of Jesus and has to be friends of one another. So there's two things we can do. I'm going to wrap this up, actually. I say actually like you were thinking I wasn't going to. We can do two things. We can be strangers or we can be friends in the church, right? Strangers or friends. So strangers, um, we decide that we're not going to have any relationships with people, like deep relationships. And maybe we'll pick and choose, some people, but not others. We'll always treat others as strangers. We'll stand in the corner and we'll grumble when no one talks to us. Or we can treat everybody as a friend and we can pursue everybody and encourage everybody and seek out everyone. And as I say this, I realize we always are thinking through this through the, the lens of a teeter-totter relationship with people. So I want to encourage you to think about your friendship not through that lens. Think it through this lens of God came to you and said, I call you friend. When Abraham was walking the earth, he wasn't going, hey, God, I'll be friends with you. Just come on right here. Hey, hey, God, pick me, pick me, right? He wasn't doing that. He wasn't donkey and Shrek, pick me. He was like, God came to him and said, Abraham, I'm going to be your friend. His world changed immediately. His world just transformed immediately. He became the friend of God, the, the citizenship of God. So, so we can have no relations. We can assume the worst of others, or we can be strategic and be friends with people and not assume the worst, but assume the best in others. We, as no relationship or friendless strangers, we can, we can be distant or we can choose to be close by. We can keep others at arm length or we can walk up into people's faces and choose to be a friend. We can not forgive hurt that's been done to us or we can remember what God did to us and forgave us no matter what and forgive people and come up and be friends. We can build walls around ourselves so we can't be hurt again or we can trust in God and his healing power and not build walls and let people into our space. We can cage someone who's failed us, box them up in this little spot. I know you. I know how you're going to act and behave. I know you. I'm going to cage you right there. Just stay in that cage. We're not going to give them any freedom to change, repent, or we can take the box off and just choose to be a friend with other people. We can hold grudges. Or we can get rid of them. We can ignore. We can snub them. Oh, I know you're in the church with me, and we're part of the community of God, but I'm not going to look at you. You know that awkward, I'm not going to look at you thing? Anybody? (laughs) Right? This is not. Aren't we thankful that Jesus didn't say that to the disciples and didn't say that to us? Aren't we thankful? I mean, wow. Thank you, God, that you, you will come and 
do it again. <laughs> you, I, I'm the one who's running away. It's not even like you're running off someplace or your marker gets dry. It's like, no, you're right there, and, and I repent, and, but even if I don't repent, you don't throw me aside. That is remarkable. You know, men and women, there's just too much at stake to remain strangers in the house of God. There's too much at stake. If we're building the house together, we have to be friends and realize we're citizens. We're not strangers and foreigners. There's a, uh, there's a story in Luke 9, I think, that friends of a paralyzed man brought the paralyzed man to Jesus. And there's a crowd around this house listening to Jesus talk. And Jesus is inside and the crowd is gathered. And they're trying to get this paralyzed man on this, this cot uh, into and through the crowd. But the crowd is too tight and they just couldn't get to Jesus. They know that Jesus could heal him. But these friends of this man who was ill, get this. They were friends of a man who was ill. They didn't have to be. They didn't have to do this. This is a man who was ill. He's made some bad choices, maybe. maybe. Maybe he was paralyzed because he made bad choices. We don't know. Maybe he was paralyzed from infancy, or maybe he was paralyzed because he was drunk and he jumped off a ledge and he was stupid. Whatever it was, these people didn't have to. In fact, in that day and age, it was much easier on life to not be friends with those people because those people need a lot of care. You think people who are paralyzed now need a lot of care? In the first century, people who were paralyzed needed everything. Food, housing, movement. That person needed a lot of care. And so these guys, these friends of his, maybe four, holding each side of this mat, took him and was like, we're going to get you to Jesus. And as friends, they did something risky. They went up onto the top of the roof, and however the, the tiles of the roof were, or however it was, I don't even know, but they dug a hole in the, the roof of the house, and they took this guy. I mean, they dug a hole so that a man laying down could fit down through the hole, and they dropped him right into the, the, the front of Jesus, right into there. And they're like, we love you so much. We're going to care for you so much. We're going to get you to Jesus. That's how a friend acts. That's how somebody who is a friend, that's what Jesus did. Oh, yeah. That's what Jesus did. He came to us when we still had our back to him, when we were still non unfriendly to him, in fact, enemies of him. He came to us and chose us to be his friend. That's what he did, let us down. He dug the hole on top of the eternal roof and let us down in the front of his father God and healed us. How amazing is that? May we reflect that as a church. And I'm not saying this because, wow, we got some bad things going on here at Epic Life, and uh, you guys better get your act together. I'm not really even saying that because it's, it's, there's, there is stuff like that, I know. But, um, but it also is a warning for us to make sure that doesn't happen and care for one another in such a ridiculous, one-sided friendship way. Romans 12. this passage. Wow. Don't just pretend to love one another. Really love them. Verse 9. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. What? That's mind-blowing that he just said that. Genuine affection, and then take delight in honoring each other. Not because that person deserves it or whatever. Just take delight in honoring each other. A church that's encouraging and honoring one another is one heck of a strong church. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the, the Lord enthusiastic. And so he's really saying be, be strategic, be purposeful. So rejoice in your confident hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Hospitality is a beautiful word. It's kind of like gen generosity. And we always think that hospitality and generosity has something to do with money and our house, maybe. And maybe it does. But more than anything, it's about the way we present ourselves in friendship to other people. 
That's hospitality and generosity. How beautiful is that? So bless those who persecute you. Full stop. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. The ones who are persecuting you. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. So know them enough to be happy and weep. Live in harmony with one another. Harmony, peace. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Everybody else is ordinary people to us. (laughs) And don't think you know it all. In fact, never pay back evil with more evil. Where's that going? Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Father, what a privilege it is to to understand your word. And I thank you, Lord, that we are no longer strangers to you, that we're part of your nation, and that we are we are friends of yours because you've called us to that. And may we reflect that to one another. May we reflect it to our our friends and family, our 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 church community and the church of North Seattle. And Lord, however you are right now impressing in our heart to respond to this, I pray that we would do that and not, and not callous ourselves over, that we would truly respond to it. So Lord, you know that people are authentically hurt, that, that friends, people who have called themselves friends, have hurt us. And you understand that more than we can even imagine as one of your own. In fact, it seems like 12 of your own defriended you in your time of greatest need. So you can understand that, and we know that. Lord, may we reflect what you did, and would we pursue others. And that the church would be known because of their love for one another. And Lord, the, the sickness of not loving one another would be confessed and repented of and that you would heal the church and that, uh, that cut. Lord, trust you, Lord. So thankful for this community of believers as we continue to learn and grow and build the house of God together here in North Seattle. What a blessing. In the name of Jesus, amen.